I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Before we get rolling, I wanted you to hear about another great podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get started. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Yeah. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Kristen Graham. Kristen is a Philadelphia Inquirer education reporter. She won the Pulitzer Prize in 2012 for her work on the series Assault on Learning, which affected large-scale change. Kristen is active covering breaking news stories and longer, in-depth pieces. If you want to know what's happening real-time in Philadelphia, then follow her on Twitter, NewsCag. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm good. It's, you know, it's COVID. Here we are, and, uh, you know, we're all making the best of it. So, Kristen, you are a big fan of the Phillies. Uh, to our listeners who that first question has thrown them off a bit, especially as the first question, the Phillies are the baseball team in Philadelphia. And on diving deep here, we like to switch things up a bit. What do you think of their offseason so far and what about their hopes for 2021? So I have to say um, I am a little bit nervous because there have been, um, you know, there were some big holes, particularly in the bullpen. Uh, I think at this point we're, I don't know, maybe 34 days away from pitchers and catchers reporting, which I believe is February 17th this year, and we still have a lot of holes to fill. We don't know mm-hmm. what char- starting shortstop is going to be. We don't know who our starting catcher is going to be. Um, however, hope springs eternal, and I would like to say that the Phillies will contend. Okay, so you're an optimist. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not really, but I'm going against my nature as a Philadelphian and a journalist. But uh, mainly, I want to show my seven year old that you know we have to root for the Phillies regardless of whether they stink. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about the season. I mean, the things you just pointed out, the bullpen. Okay, that's a big issue. It was a big issue. What, it, what have they done? And then, yeah, you just picked out two important positions: the catcher and the shortstop. And we don't know what's going on with yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm not. I'm not super optimistic about refining JT Real Muto, but uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'd like to see Didi Gregorius back out there. Kind of makes yeah. me, makes me smile. I like his presence in the clubhouse. 
Well, travel back in time with me to maybe better Phillies days, 2008. Uh, Brad Lidge yeah. just got the final out yes. to beat the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, he fell to the ground. The team piled on top of him. Uh, where were you? How did you celebrate? What went down? So um, I was lucky enough to be in the stadium because I was mm. uh, a reporter back then, too. I was an education reporter back then. But, um, you know, it was such a big deal for our newsroom that they had a number of reporters um, detailed to cover the Phillies, even uh, folks who weren't sports journalists. Um, so I was on the fans. I covered, um, you know, through the playoffs and I was in the fans. And I have to say it was the only time in my professional career that I burst out crying. Um, because it was like just so emotional for me, you know, growing up mm. a Phillies fan, um, you know, my whole life. And I was like, I wanted to talk to my dad and I wanted to talk to my sister and, you know, I'm interviewing this woman and we were hugging and it, <laughs> it was really cool. It was really, really cool. And I have to say that press pass, that Phillies press pass from 2008 is the only press pass I have framed and hanging in my bedroom. Kristen, I'm in Philadelphia as well and remember that night uh, very fondly. But one of my biggest regrets is not going to the parade a few days later. I was a new teacher at the time and the principal threatened uh, that anyone who went to the parade will be severely reprimanded. So uh, I didn't go. But little did I know that principals tend to just make empty threats and rarely, if ever, do they follow through. If I knew that, then I would have just went. Uh, did you go to the parade? What was it like? Um, I did. And I was lucky enough to cover that too. Um, I was, oh. I was at the ballpark, you know, when Chase Utley made his, his, uh, you know, I <laughs> comment, uh, it was really cool because there, you know, there weren't a ton of people at the ballpark, but obviously lining Broad Street and, you know, I'm there is, you know, Jason Worth and, and his dog. And, and it was just like, it was electric. It was a joy to report and it was a joy to be there as a fan and kind of, you know, my editors didn't expect me not to be a fan. So that was cool. What kind of stories were you able to capture that day? Um, I was just talking to, you know, lots of lifelong fans like me, people who were, you know, crying about not being able to celebrate the World Series with their loved ones who had passed away, people who had, you know, gone to great lengths to get tickets to the World Series or who had stories about being fans in 1964 during the collapse. Um, just like lovely, you know, very personal tales um, and tales that I could relate to because, you know, the Phillies mean so much to me personally. So uh, it was just kind of a joy to write these human interest stories about Phillies fans. Yeah, I bet that was cool and be, and really interesting to be able to connect with them on a, on a deeper level. Yep. Um, we both live in Philadelphia for our listeners who might live in and around Philadelphia or for those who might be visiting in the near future once, you know, the COVID restrictions uh, lax a little bit. What are some of your favorite things to do in Philadelphia? Oh, man, um, I really just like to to, you know, walk and people watch. I love, you know, taking my kids to Reading Terminal Market. Um, you know, Magic Gardens are amazing um, in Center City. Um, you know, I grew up in the Northeast and there are, um, you know, lots of beautiful places there. I know it doesn't sound intuitive, but Pennypack Park is great. Um, it's just a city of neighborhoods and each neighborhood has, you know, its own character and, and there's something to love about all of our neighborhoods. Yeah, I love going to Reading Terminal Market as well. You know, walking around, feeling the energy, checking out some different places. Do you have a favorite uh, restaurant or or spot you stop by when you go there? I have to say, um, I love Down Home Diner. Back in in the days when I could be in the newsroom, um, you know, I was there once or twice a week. Uh, just you know, good vibe, great pancakes, great um, you know everything, and just kind of comfort food um, when you need it. 
Yeah, that's one of the places I've actually never been in Reading Terminal Market, so I'm making a note to go check that out next next time I'm there. You're a journalist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, what drew you to journalism? So I grew up um, as a kid who loved to read and a kid who loved to write, and I also come from a family where um, we revere newspapers. Uh, my dad talks about how, as a as a mailman um, in the city, he would you know take his lunch and buy his dad three newspapers at the time. You know, the city had three newspapers, and so that's just the kind of family I grew up in, like lifelong inquirer reader. And I also like to ask nosy questions. And believe it or not, being a journalist is really good if you like to ask nosy questions. Um, so from a, a pretty young age, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and, you know, I didn't grow up in a family where where there were any journalists. So I had great teachers in the Philadelphia School District who kind of helped me figure out um, what to do to land myself there. And, and I went to Temple University and studied journalism and got an internship at the Inquirer when I was a sophomore at Temple and have never worked anywhere else. Okay. So from your internship, those relationships and those experiences were able to uh, lead you into into your job that you've had ever since. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And when you first started there, uh, you know, apart from the internship, when you first got hired, where was your focus? So my first beat was as a reporter in the Inquirer South Jersey Bureau. I covered a bunch of small towns. I covered Haddonfield, Haddon Heights, Haddon Township, uh, and Gloucester City. And I was the person who, you know, went to town council meetings and school board Mm. meetings and planning board meetings, not, you know, super glamorous, but it was a great way to learn about um, being a journalist and cover communities. Um, And I kind of fell in love with education reporting real early. And so I had a chance to specialize. I pointed myself that way, covered suburban education for a while, and then ultimately um, started covering the Philadelphia School District in 2012. Now, you mentioned a couple of these things a little bit earlier, but I wanted to just uh, dive a little deeper into that. Uh, What do you think are some of the most important skills a journalist needs? Well, the most important uh, skills a journalist needs, I would say, you know, first of all, um, obviously you want to be a a good observer. Um, Mm. It's really important to be a good listener. I think sometimes, um, you know, we get caught up in asking great questions, but I think it's just as important, if not more important to listen well. Obviously, Mm. you need to think critically um, and to feel a a real sense of public duty in a lot of ways, too. Um, You know, I'm not asking for myself when I ask questions. I'm I'm kind of asking for my readers um, who deserve to know about um, you know what's happening in the Philadelphia School District, which controls $3.5 billion in public money and is responsible for the education of over 200,000 students. Um, you know, so certainly those critical questions, that sense of public service, um, you, know, you have to kind of be unflappable under pressure because sometimes there's a lot of that and you have to have a thick skin, which I'm not always yeah. great at. People, especially these days, have opinions about reporters. And, you know, increasingly, it's not just, you know, people saying nasty things to you. It's people, people, you know, doing nasty things to you. Um, And I don't know, it helps to have a sense of humor and to not take yourself too seriously. Yeah, those are really interesting. I'd like to get into that a little bit. So when you talk about, you know, the public good and and wanting to report for your readers, how do you figure out sort of what your readers want to know? Well, I mean, one thing I I have to say about the advent of social media and the 24-hour news cycle, it's, you know, a lot. It's a a lot different. You know, I've been a journalist now for 20 years. And when I started, you know, there definitely wasn't the kind of constant news cycle. Um, But 
I have to say it's really good because I'm connecting with a lot more folks who are interested in our journalism and I'm able to know in real time, like what people are thinking about and caring about. I mean, obviously the people I interact with on Twitter and Facebook, you know, are not, everyone's not on social media, but lots of people are. And so, you know, in a lot of cases, people are telling me what they're, what they're interested in, you know, it it Mm. be a, you know, a reader might email me or call me, but now they can get me really quickly through social media. I'm very accessible. Um, You know, and I think it's also incumbent on me to go out to people who aren't necessarily coming to me, people, you know, who are more in more underserved communities um, and ask them, you know, what do you want to know about? What are your concerns? How are you, you know, how are you um, doing? How are you interacting with the Philadelphia School District? Yeah. So you mentioned sort of social media being, you know, benefit, you know, a recent benefit to allow you to interact directly with with people. You know, thinking back to when you started and social media wasn't around or if it was, it wasn't as prevalent. How is social media and this recent sort of 24 news cycle, people can always interact with you. How does that distract you? How has that maybe not been uh, helpful. Well, I mean, it's definitely distracting in some ways. Um, and, you know, as I, I'm a mom of two small kids, I feel like I'm like never not working. And in fact, you know, on, on a Saturday recently, my, my four-year-old was like, you know, okay, can you play with me, mom? And I said, yeah, of course I'll play with you. And he goes, well, how many work calls are you going to have to take? Or how many times are you going to have to look at your mm. phone? And it was like, you know, it really kind of struck me that, you know, my kids are growing up, you know, not ever having me off like for work because you know this job where you need to be plugged in most of the time and so that is a distraction and it's also you know I'm thinking I live tweet um school board meetings and I'm thinking about school board meetings when I'm just like inundated with people asking me questions and you know trying to to interact with me and I can't always do it um so obviously you want to um you know to get back to people as quickly as you can. But, you know, some, some of it, you just have to let go, you know, some of it, I, you just can't be yeah. there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet that that can be difficult, you know, dif- difficult tension to, to sort of hold. Let's say there's a teacher listening. They have students, they're teaching a journalism class. Or let's say there's a student listening, you know, and they're like, yes, I want to do what Kristen's doing. That sounds really interesting. What would you advise? So we've talked a little about skills. We've talked about, you know, the importance of connecting to the community. What would you advise them in order to help them get into journalism and get moving? Well, the first thing I would say to that student or the teacher who, you know, is reaching out on behalf of their students is feel free to contact me directly because I'm always happy (laughs) to talk to our students. Um, And I am frequently, you know, speaking to classes and things like that. Um, But I would say, you know, there are many more opportunities to get published, you know, many more forums than there were, you know, when I was coming up as a journalism student, it was like pretty much traditional print media or, you know, TV or radio. And obviously there are lots more ways to get published now. There are, you know, many more avenues with social media, things like that. Um, But read everything you can um, Hmm. be a, be a smart consumer of news and don't just read, you know, one site or one kind of site, you know, can look at everything that's out there or a lot of what's out there. Um, and, you know, reach out to people you admire, ask them for advice. Um, you know, in terms of education, you know, I don't, I majored in journalism myself. I don't think it's necessary to major in journalism, you know, just make sure you get experience writing for, for publications. Um, and, you know, just keep at it. It's definitely an evolving business. I have no idea what journalism is going to look like in five years, let alone, you know, 15 or 20, but, um, you know, just 
just keep at it. It's it's a tough business in many ways, but it's an amazing business. It's like, you know, a privilege to do what I do. And, uh, yeah. you know, there are there are ways to make it in the business. You said it's an amazing business. As you think about that, what's the most amazing aspect about it for you? I just love the the part where I get to meet people that I never would meet if I wasn't mm. a journalist and experience yeah. things, um, you know, to have the privilege to, to look inside people's lives. You know, I said, mm. I'm nosy and I, I am nosy, but it's like, <laughs> you know, people invite me into their lives and trust me, you know, to, to write about them, um, honestly. And, and, you know, sometimes when teachers have a question about the school district, they'll come to me instead of going to, you know, whatever they're, another source and you know Mm. which i take really seriously um but yeah it's i i just think it's cool to to be able to do these kind of wacky things in the the name of journalism like obviously i covered Mm. the Philadelphia school district but i've also like you know gone for a walk with llamas and interviewed a pet psychic just like the kind of wacky stuff that i would never do as a human being if this wasn't my job all right i gotta ask you about the pet psychic what did that psychic what was that psychic able to do with the pets so um, I was at the time I was covering um, some towns in South Jersey. The psychic lived in one of the towns I covered. You know, everyone told me about this woman, and I, you know, proposed this story to my editor as a as a feature. You know, I'm going to write a personality profile of this woman. And at the time, I had a a kind of a high strung um, beagle dog, and my editor was like, "Well, I definitely want this story, but I also want you to take your dog to the dog psychic." And so the dog psychic, the pet psychic told me what my dog, who was a rescue, what his original name was, um, you know, all these secrets about, you know, why he liked me best. And, you know, I, I wanted to know why he got into the trash can. He got into the trash can because like when I first got him, he got into the trash can and I laughed. It was just, it was, it was hilarious and amazing. And, you know, I'm like, a professional skeptic. That's my job. But I have to say, I was kind of like, wow, like maybe this is a real thing. Maybe she actually is my, my PD, the dog was, was talking to me through the, the psychic. So it was fun. That's cool. It's also fun that you get to do different sorts of pieces, you know, um, like I follow your work and I know you'd, you've done other things, but a lot of times I associate you with education and it's cool that you're able to go out and do these other features and, and sort of express your creativity and interact with a sort of wide range of people. Um, how often are you able to do that? Well, um, that's kind of the good thing about working at a, a general interest newspaper. Um, you know, obviously the Philadelphia School District is my beat and it's what I cover you know, 99% of the time. But, you know, we all pull several weekend shifts a year. So you never know when you work a weekend shift, you know, what's what's your assignment going to be? You might be covering a protest or you might be covering a, I wrote a feature on one of my last weekend shifts about a priest who had worked in um, South Philadelphia for years who was turning 100. And, you know, it sounds like it might be kind of prosaic, but if this guy had done these amazing things for for Black youth, um, you know, at a time when, um, you know, the city wasn't looking too kindly on on people who were involved in civil rights things. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's cool. So um, sometimes, you know, yeah, just your number comes up or you know, I have covered protests just when it's a it's a big enough public event that, you know, we're pulling people from other parts of the newsroom to cover major news. So when you're doing that weekend piece, let's take the one with the priest, for example, did you know about that ahead of time? Were you prepping or they're like, I want you to run with this story, go meet this person uh, and sort of write it up? So we get we get our it's it's just all like 
luck of the draw. Like I'm, you know, working Sunday, whatever, a couple days before you hear from the Sunday assigning editor, you know, this is what I want you to do on your weekend shift. You know, I think for that story about the priest, you know, I made a couple calls the day before. Um, but no, there's not usually like a lot of, you know, notice I'm not preparing like a month in advance. Um, it's, yeah. it's you, you, you know, get up that day and, and, you know, get your assignment and it all could change depending on news. If there's, you know, a major fire or something, then, then your, your assignment changes. That's interesting. You got to be like sort of flexible, but also prepared at the same time and willing to to go in and interact. Like you've mentioned earlier, interact with a wide range of of people. You cover, like we've talked about, education in the Philadelphia region. And you've also mentioned this. I love it when you attend the Philadelphia school board meetings um, and your live tweets and co- and your quotes. And I'm thinking as I'm as I'm reading them, did they really say that? Did that really happen? You know, because some of the things I'm, I'm wondering why that person said that or did that. Um, what kind of looks are they giving you as they see you there? They obviously know who you are. They see you there documenting and tweeting real time what's actually going on. Um, well, now it's hard to know because everyone's virtual. So like I'm just got you. I'm just a lady in my dining room um, tweeting. But, you know, before in the before times when when I was there, I mean, I've been, I think I said earlier that I was covering the, I've been covering the school district since 2012. That was wrong. I was actually covering the school district since 2008 and started to oh, tweet wow. pretty, pretty early on. Um, I think I, you know, got my Twitter account in like 2007, but, you know, early on, and it was the SRC then, I would just live tweet because I was there. The meetings are long. It was something to do. Um, but now it kind of, it kind of comes with the territory. Like if you're a, if you're, you know, someone new to the district, like, pretty much know that I'm live, live tweeting. And, you know, I, I, people aren't shooting me dirty looks or anything, but people are no. tweeting me afterwards. Like I was, I logged onto Twitter to see what you said about my testimony. And that's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's a thing now, right? In what ways have you seen education progress as you've covered it through, throughout the years? How has education progressed? You know, some people would say education has progressed and some people would say, you know, it's it's tougher now, you know, with the proliferation of standardized testing. Although, you know, I guess I started mm-hmm. covering education right at the beginning of No Child Left Behind. And, you know, certainly we're we're still kind of in the thick of a, a testing culture, even though, you know, the, the folks in power are saying they want less reliance on standardized tests. But, you know, there have been definitely there's a lot more um, emphasis placed on, um, you know, equity. And certainly in this last year since, um, you know, the the death of George Floyd and, and you know, incidents across the country, um, you know, protesting uh, across the country, um, there is a lot more racial reckoning, which I think is, is really important, um, you know, in a school district like Philadelphia that is, you know, made up of mostly black and brown kids. Um, and in, in many ways is, you know, there, there are racist practices embedded in the district. Um, so I think that, you know, is something you can for sure say is progress. Um, you know, there've been some, some things are cyclical there, you know, there are, um, things that, that come around again. Um, you know, as an educator, I'm sure you could say, you know, with much more expertise than, than me, how, how, um, things have changed, but, you know, we were, we were talking about, um, you know, equity and getting more kids reading on grade level when I started as an education reporter. And, you know, we're still talking about that. We're still haven't figured out, um, you know, how how to serve kids better in some ways. 
Yeah, I want to follow up with that. Yeah, and that's sad to think about that we've been sort of fighting this battle for certain things and they just don't move. You know, the needle doesn't move. You mentioned the the reading level, you know, and, and that's terrible that we're not getting more students on, on reading level. Um, what are some other areas that's just sort of refused to change? Um, you know, well, when you look at a district like Philadelphia, um, it's still enormously segregated. Um, and there are, you know, if you're a student at a school in, say, North Philadelphia, you're not going to get the same education you might get if you were in Northeast Philadelphia, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and resources are a big part of that. I mean, that's, I think the, the elephant in the room is always um, funding when you talk about Philadelphia and, and you know, in many ways, Philadelphia hasn't come back from um, the the devastating funding cuts that it absorbed in you know the from two thousand nine on, um, and now you know we're we're heading into another recession and and looking at you know possibly more budget cuts and school closures um, you know once the once the stimulus money dries up um, so mm. it's just you know a lot of intractable problems and and you know it's it's kind of like. Politicians like to say, you know, education is the most important thing it is. There is because it, you know, it's it's our our future citizenry. Well, you know, that's absolutely true, and you know, we still have not figured it out for sure. You mentioned funding. Is there a difference in how schools are funded in Philadelphia? Do some schools get more funding than others, or is it all equal uh, throughout the city? So, their schools get a, a per pupil allocation, um, and that's uh, pretty even. But some schools are are better at you know fundraising or or have you know mm-hmm. families who have means to to fundraise. You know there are some schools that have you know friends of groups that are able to you know get money for playgrounds and you know extra teachers. I'm thinking about an instance mm-hmm. um, you know in the last terrible round of budget cuts. Um, you know and I. I think it was about 2011, um, you know, when at one particularly well-resourced school, you know, the district ordered mid-year budget cuts and they were going to um, cut the school nurse and the parents in a couple of days raised, raised enough money to keep the school nurse, you know, out of, out of pocket. Oh, basically, wow. said, you know, we're going to, we're going to pay this woman's salary through the home and school association. And that's something that could never have happened at, um, you know, a school across town. And so, you know, when we talk about where resources go, it's not necessarily, you know, you get more money if you're in the Northeast. It's like, you know, kind of the the supplemental resources at the edges. Is there something that inspires you as you go into buildings or interact with the education system in Philadelphia? What's been inspirational, maybe a story or two to, to help us think in a different way? That's, you know, that's a that's a great question to to answer, because I have to say, whenever I feel like depressed about you know, lack of funding or, you know, something that's not changing in Philadelphia. I just talk to students and I feel so Mm. much better because it kind of centers me and reminds me like, this is why it's important that I'm doing what I'm doing because the kids are just phenomenal. Like in every school I've ever been to, um, you know, no matter where you are, no matter what grade level the kids are, like they're, they're awesome. You know, I did a, a story a couple of years ago now where I pretty much embedded inside Strawberry Mansion High School which is in um, North Philadelphia, and uh, there had been attempts to close it, um, was was struggling, um, you know, academically and, and you know, had very few students. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to answer the question, like, what's, what's going on with Strawberry Mansion? Like, how do you turn the school around? And it was just such a 
tremendous experience because while people were like, oh, Strawberry Mansion, you know, that's, that's not a good school that, you know, was, was its, its reputation. Like every Mm -hmm. kid I met there, even kids who were struggling was just like, you know, it, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. It was great to talk to the kids and, you know, whenever I feel, sort of down about my job or down about what I cover, like just talk to a, a Philadelphia student and it makes me feel better. How were you able to go about embedding yourself within Strawberry Mansion? Um, I was a real pain. <laughs> I basically said to the, you know, I had written some stories and the district was like, you know, take us seriously. Like this time we really want to turn around Strawberry Mansion. I was like, well, let me in. Like, wouldn't that be amazing to just let me in and tell that story? So much of what I do is based on, you know, what officials are telling me or what teachers or, or students even, um, or, you know, certainly school district officials. But I said, just give me a bird's eye view, like, you know, and obviously people had privacy concerns. Like we don't want you to, you know, talk about things, personnel matters that you might hear about. It was like, I don't care about any of that. Like I'll hear it. And, you know, that's not what I want to write about. I want to want to write about like what makes the school tick. Um, And so it was a lot of conversations convincing, um, you know, the superintendent, convincing folks in the communications office, you know, convincing the principal that it was for real. And this was a story that, um, you know, I think that that would do them do them proud. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I think people were happy with the way the story turned out. Um, so it was you know, kind of a, a slog to get there. But um, my colleague, Tim Ty, who's a photographer, and I spent, you know, the better part of a year inside Mansion. And, you know, it was a great experience. And what were some of the things that you learned through your interactions with the students? I mean, not that any of this was like breaking news, but just we know what our kids are carrying but to see that um, firsthand, you know, a student who had maybe been to 15 schools in their career, a student mm. who was returning from, you know, being incarcerated, a student who was caring for a sibling or caring for their own child. Um, you know, when we look at the conversations about, oh, you know, kids aren't passing state tests and, you know, why is that? Well, like you tell me, you know, if you've you've had this, you know, fractured school experience, you know, you moved around a lot, maybe you needed services that you didn't get right away, you know, would you pass your your state biology exam? You might not. Um, and so just talking to those kids and seeing their incredible resilience and their, you know, kindness and their, their intelligence, um, you know, it was just a joy. Yeah, I remember when you wrote those stories uh, about Strawberry Mansion. They were, they were really interesting and insightful. And I think you did a great job of trying to get the whole picture. And and you you did that well. What What is going on with Strawberry Mansion these days? Well, I mean, obviously it's COVID year. So yeah. <laughs> who knows? Um, Strawberry Mansion, I guess this year they would be minus a junior class because there was they did not have they did not have um have a class one year. So it's growing in enrollment because, you know, every year they're adding one more class. But, um, you know, the the principal who I wrote about is there, the counselor who's so dynamic I wrote about is there. But cool. it's really tough. It is really tough for, I think, most people. Um, remote learning, Philadelphia students haven't been back wow. in the classroom since um, March of 2020. Um and, you know, imagine if you've got a, got a lot going on in your life, maybe you're working, maybe you're caring for siblings, and suddenly, like, you can't even see your teachers in person. Um, no. It's tough. It's really tough. Um, so I certainly, um, you know, hope to to come back to the mansion story someday when I can get inside schools again. 
Kristen, during the riots um, in Philadelphia, you know, following the death of George Floyd, you covered the protest and eventually being handcuffed. Can you give us the story of those events, both of the protest and then eventually being handcuffed? Yeah. So, I mean, I want to be clear on two things. One, what I covered were protests, peaceful protests, not riots. Um, I covered um, protests that did. This was the day that everything went down on 676. Um, there was no, um, yeah, I mean, there had been looting in the city um, earlier that weekend. Um, but, you know, what I was called to to cover were protests and remained protests. Um, and I wasn't just handcuffed, I was arrested, um, which I think is an important distinction, right? Um, so I had volunteered, raised my hand, said, you know, I'll be in the group of journalists who who will cover these protests because, you know, of course we were still in COVID um, and some people weren't weren't comfortable um, doing in-person assignments. I, I was, um, I had proper, you know, equipment and I felt like I was fine. So volunteered to cover the protest. You know, I'm on the ground with people. Um, we started right outside the police headquarters, uh, the roundhouse, and walked to basically like I, I got to right to the entrance to 676 right off Benjamin Franklin Parkway. Mm. Um, you know, covered the protest. I was almost on 676. Um, you know, I was in a crowd that was um, where tear gas was deployed, um, and and you know, sort of. I had, I had been prepared for that and, and, you know, kind of had some like an antidote to put in my eyes. So I, I filed what I needed to file to my editor and, um, you know, my editor said, okay, we have what we need. You can, you can, um, leave now. So I was walking back to my car, which was parked, um, near the Inquirer's headquarters at eight, the market. Um, at this point there was a curfew in the city. Um, journalists were considered essential workers. And so while there was a curfew, um, journalists were just like doctors and nurses. You know, if we were properly identified as media, we had the you know ability to be out if we were on assignment. Um, and so I had my press pass on mm-hmm. while I'm walking to my car. A couple officers said, you know, hey, what's going on? You're out past curfew. And I showed them my, my press pass and I'm just going back to my car from an assignment. You know, okay, thanks. Have a good night. Stay safe. Um, and then I got to city hall and, um, you know, was essentially arrested. Um, someone said, you can't walk this way. I said, okay, I'll turn around and, and walk another way. And then less than a minute later, um, two officers put my hands behind my back, um, you know, took my backpack off and put me in a, uh, in a wagon, a big van to, to, um, to be processed at a police district in North Philadelphia. And so I was, arrested and, and about to be processed. It was, um, you know, I, I managed to, to, um, to get out because, um, I had a smartwatch on, even though they took my phone, I realized that I had my smartwatch on and, and kind of got one hand out of my handcuffs and alerted, um, my editor, um, that I had been arrested and, you know, the papers, lawyers got to work. Um, and soon after a, uh, police sergeant got on the, the, van that I was on, we were waiting to be processed. There were probably about, you know, 20, 20 women, 25 women waiting to be um, processed. And they said, you know, we've made a mistake. Um, you know, you're, we're so sorry about this. We shouldn't have arrested you. Uh, we recognize that you're a journalist. Having some time to reflect on those protests, and, and I appreciate you making the distinction between the riots and the protests, because there were much peaceful protests going on during that time. Um, reflect on those protests and the events of that day. Uh, what insights have you gained? I, I guess the the first thing that springs to mind is that in some ways it's it's a lot scarier to be a journalist than it than it 
has been at any time in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was arrested for doing my job. You know, I, when, when the officers detained me, I said, you know, I'm a reporter, you know, motioned with my, with my chin to my press pass. And like the people who arrested me didn't care, despite the fact that the, that the, um, you know, police commissioner had, had said, you know, you're not to detain uh, media who are doing their job. Um, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what, uh, what other insights I have from that. Um, yeah. Other than it's kind of a scary time to be a journalist. And, you know, I say this as we're going into the week of the inauguration and, and mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, worry about what that's going to look like. And I'm going to be reporting um, on that next week. And, you know, it's, it's frightening. Thanks for all the, the work that you're doing and you continue to do uh, even in the midst. And Kristen, it has been great talking with you today. As we wind things down, who do you want to give a shout out to? So I know it sounds cheesy, but I want to give a shout out to every teacher who is um, navigating kids through this crazy time. Um, you know, I'm working from home. Our newsroom is is um, is closed at least un- th- until um, July. And so down the hall, my, my son is in virtual second grade. And kind of listening as I, as I'm, you know, doing my interviews, listening to the, you know, the amazing work that, that his teacher is doing. And certainly, you know, the teachers who I, who I interview every day, um, Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, man, everyone's killing it. Every it's hard. And, you know, there's there it's, it's frustrating, but, um, you know, the way that teachers are showing up for kids, you know, they always do, but this year it's especially hard. And I feel like everyone is a first year teacher now because everyone's learning to teach a, a completely different way. Uh, and, you know, my hat is just off to, to all teachers who are who are helping kids through this tough time. Time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? May, may we all get through the next week and month. I don't know. I don't have anything other than that. I mean, I just feel like, COVID has been so tough for all of us to navigate. And, you know, with all the unrest that's happening now, you know, it's, it's a unsettling kind of time and, and, you know, may we all have the grace to get through it. This has been great, Kristen. Thank you so, so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences and helping us to dive deep. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.